Vale with Daniel Jackson presents guest host Bob Vetter. Bob is a cultural anthropologist whose life work concerns the intersection of spirituality and healing in diverse indigenous cultures. His original fieldwork focused on Native North American medicine, especially that of the Southern Plains. Along with his adopted uncle, medicine man Richard Tartza Sr., he authored the book Big Bow, The Spiritual Life and Teachings of a Kiowa Family. And now, part two of Spirituality and Healing with Bob Vetter. I tell people about that all the time when people ask me about meditation and they want because they're searching for answers. Mm-hmm. And I always tell them you can get those answers within meditation by spirit, but spirit wants to make sure that you're in it for the right reasons. They're not just going to give you answers so you can tell some stories to your friends. They want to make sure that they can trust you enough to give you answers and to do the right thing with those answers. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you know, the, what I'm going to tell you now is not part of the story that he told me that day. This is, this is a related story that he told me sometime later was that there are, there were a number of places, power places there in the Wichita mountains and Southwest Oklahoma, where people would go on vision quests one of those places was known to have a spirit there that if you went there, this spirit would jump on your chest and pull out a knife and thrust it like he, like it was going to thrust the knife into your chest in order to test you first. Sure. And their belief is that if the spirits test you in any way, like if you turn around and you go back and you don't fulfill what you set out to do, that you're never going to get it. Whatever it is that you went there for, you're never going to get it if if the spirits scare you off. I got I got tested in the same way, sort of. Uh, while finding out that I was a medium, uh, my wife went away on vacation for two weeks. Uh-huh. And... Uh, while she was away for, on vacation, I've seen spirit my entire life. I just, it's just nor, natural for me. But for those two weeks, they showed me everything in that home that you could ever think of or imagine of that would be in some type of scary movie. And they mm-hmm. did that to test me to see what I was going to do next. If I was going to push it away or was I going to move forward with it? And I chose to move forward with it. And once I did, all that scary stuff went away and then everything changed at that point. Beautiful. Well, that's, that's a parallel story. Yes. Absolutely. As, you'll, as you'll find out in a moment here. So, uh, so yeah. So his, when, when his wife said, you're not man enough to take it, they're going to run you off. His response <laughs> was, well, I've got nothing to lose at this point. The doctors right. turned me away. I might as well try this and see what happens. So finally, you know, his, his wife and his son took him back home and he made all of the preparations to go um, go up there and fast in the hills. And he waited until it was a, a new moon so that it was completely pitch black at the place that he went. And he went bringing with him nothing but a sheet to cover himself up with. Sure. An eagle feather, which is this symbol and source of power and protection and four corn shucks or corn husks to roll up into prayer smokes with tobacco. So he, he went to that spot, you know, and waited and waited. And he said he was, you know, very frightened the whole time that he was there. And he smoked four times like he was told. Now he knew about this place because years before that he had had a friend who had become um, close to death, who had gone there and had been healed. And that's how he knew about this particular place. So he rolled up, he rolled the tobacco into these corn shuck cigarettes, these prayer smokes, and he smoked them over the course of the time that he was there, four being a sacred number like the four directions and the, the four seasons. And uh, he said nothing happened. 
You know, he was just there, afraid, but nothing happened. And then it got to be nighttime, and nothing happened. And it got to be towards morning. And when he looked off in the distance, he could see what looked like a, a flame. But it wasn't a continuous flame. It was a flame that would go on, and then it would go off. And then it would go on, and it would go off. And then he realized that whatever this was, that it was moving towards him. And as it got closer, he could see that it was some sort of a being, that the fire was what came out of its mouth every time it exhaled. It blew fire out of its mouth. And he watched and got more and more scared as he realized that it was coming towards him. And he said, finally, this thing, he referred to it as the visitor. He said, it finally, it got right up in front of me. And I was so scared. He said, I, I was like, when you pull a fish out on dry land, that it flops around helpless. He said, I was like that. Until finally, he said, it got right up in front of me. And when it exhaled, he said, it shot me with that fire. He said, when I got hit by that fire, he said, that was it. Everything stopped. My heart stopped. My thinking stopped. My breathing stopped. I was frozen until finally, he said, that visitor spoke. And he, it spoke to me in my Comanche language. And it said, why are you here? And I said, well, I said to it, um, I'm sick. And the visitor said, there's nothing the matter with you. He said, they, they sent me to take care of somebody who's real bad off. And then he said, the visitor turned around one more time. And he looked at him and he said, son, did you know that this whole world stops? This entire world stops for just a moment at this time right before morning. And that's the time when things like me can enter into this world. And then the visitor turned around and took off to the West. And he said, that was the last time that I saw that visitor. But I no longer had the cancer. I was well in every way after that. But I still didn't know about the use of the medicine. He said, I was walking down the road in my little town. He lived outside of this little town called Apache, Oklahoma. He said, I was walking down the road and this old lady who was a medicine man, a medicine woman, saw me and she looked at me and she said, what happened to you? And he said, nothing. She said, no, no, I can tell from looking at you, something's different about you, what happened? And he said, so I told her, I told her what I had been through. And she said, well, you may not realize, realize it right now, but you're good for something. And sometime soon, you're gonna find out what that is. And then he started to think about the things that he remembered back from when he was a boy. Now, we don't even know exactly how old he was because they didn't keep track of birth records back then. No. But I met him in 1980 and he was, I don't know, maybe 90 at the time. So wow. that would have made him born in 1890. Right. So he was, he was, when he was a boy, he was with these medicine men who had been around from, you know, back back in the 1800s. When everything was happening, sure. And he, he said, I started to think back to some of the things that I saw those old men do when I was a boy. And somehow it led me to know what to do to doctor other people. Now, he was what's called a coal doctor sometimes. So he would, when he was going to doctor somebody, he would build a fire and then he would pick up one of the red hot coals from the fire and put it in his mouth. And the way that he explained it to me was that a sickness was like a fire and you've got to fight fire with fire. 
Right. And he said it was the red hot coal that would activate that power in me. And that way I could touch the flesh of my patient and change things to the way that they're supposed to be. Because he said, he said the patient in my hands becomes like, like wet cement. You know, wet cement, you can move it around, you can shape it the way you want. But then when it dries, it stays the way it is. And he said, that's the way that a patient was in my hands, that I could move them to the way that they were supposed to be and get them well. So anyway, so he, he told me that story, and that was, that was the very beginning of my own personal journey in this, this world where, where spirituality and healing intersect. And eventually that old man, he, he adopted me into his family. He made me a part of his family. He adopted me as a grandson. So I came to know him as my grandpa chief. Um, chief was a, they, they referred to him as chief. He wasn't a chief, but right, it was like right. a, a respectful title. So I referred to him as grandpa chief and his wife became my grandma Esther. And I became a part of that family, I guess you could say, in some way. And then eventually I was lucky enough to be taken into a number of other families of other tribes in Oklahoma, in other parts of the state. And so I was kind of led into this, this other world. Um, eventually I met another old man who adopted me as a nephew and asked me if I would write a book with him about his experiences. He was a medicine man also. Um, his name was Richard Tartza Sr. And he and I together um, wrote a book, what we call a collaborative ethnography. And he talked about the stories of his family and his people, the Kiowa people, another tribe in Oklahoma, and his doctoring practices. And so I got to be around medicine people and ceremonies and the things that transform lives, the things that allow some traditional people to be able to maintain their old ways, even while they're living in this modern world. And all of that dovetailed with my own academic interest in healing and spirituality and set me on a particular course, but I'll, I'll stop there for a moment in our story. Well, I have a little question for you that when you were talking, uh, something came into my mind. Um, being around the, the in Indian tribes people, being um, more or less taken into the family and then understanding them, what is your take on people who, what's the best way to say this, uh, go to college and take a course uh, so they can become a shaman. Because <laughs> I see it all the time. People, yeah. people say, oh, I was a shaman. I'm a shaman. I'm a shaman. I'm a shaman. And then, they, and then when I read up on it, they say, I took a course and I've studied this and, all, and now I'm a shaman. I... I don't believe that's true. Uh, you well, it makes me cringe. You're, you're you're born into that, just like just like me being a medium. Uh, when I tell people to be, you don't become a medium just because you take a course at college. You either have this or you don't. And when I tell people that, I say it comes through with your soul, and your soul has it, and sometimes you're woken up to it, and sometimes you are not. But you either are this or you are not. You can't go. I had a woman I did a, a reading for years ago, and then she took a class six months later after that, an intu intuition class, and then pronounced herself on Facebook as being a psychic medium. And I know dead on that she has no ability, no gift whatsoever, because they tell me she doesn't. But what 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 is your take on that, on the whole Going to cool, going to school and becoming a shaman. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, 
you know, sometimes when I when I describe the stories about what I've been through, people will, like you say, you know, all of a sudden they'll be like, oh yeah, well, you know, I I, I studied shamanism, and I you know I kind of cringe because none of the native people that I know refer to themselves as shamans. In fact, you know, if you really want to kind of offend somebody in Indian country, just throw that word out and right. you're going to really upset people to begin with. Right. I, I but, think that's an, an, would you say that's an Americanized term? Well, yeah, the history, well, so the history of the term is that anthropologists and historians of religion came to use the term because they wanted a, a general term to describe a certain type of religious practitioner. And I understand why that's the case, but they took the term, a Tungus term from Siberia, and came to use it in all of these different contexts. And some people are okay with it, and some people aren't. But I can tell you that all of the North American Indians that I've been around are really upset if you try to lump them into the category of shamanism to begin sure. with. Sure. But even even if you accept the word shaman and shamanism, to call yourself a shaman is a pretty big It's a pretty big uh, deal, right? It's a big deal. Yeah, because uh a shaman, if you if we are going to use that word, doesn't take a class in it and doesn't no. even describe themselves as that. You know, no. that's a word that the community would use. The community raises a person up and says, this person is a healer. Yes. And there's a big difference between that and saying, I took a course and I got this degree that I can hang on the wall and that proves that I, you know, that I can heal you. Yeah. No. And, and to be honest with you, the reason that this whole shamanism thing even came to be what it is is because of the work of a particular anthropologist. Michael Harner um, was a cultural anthropologist at the New School for Social Research in New York City, and he had done his field work among the Hivero people in South America. And he had this idea of something that he came to call core shamanism. And he wanted to take the, the practices that he saw among these healers in South America and strip it of all of its cultural content and um, make it something that could be taught in a weekend workshop. Yeah, yeah. And that was really how the whole thing began. And now this is going on all over the world where they, you know, they do drumming and they do journeying and they do a bunch of things. And I, I don't even have a, a problem with that. It's what I do have a problem with is that at the end of it, that you think that your certificate of study means that you're somehow qualified right. to be a healer in the same category as these indigenous people who have spent their entire lifetime working for the sake of other people. Right. Sacrificing for the people. Right. Yeah, I I do um a particular type of healing um but i found out i was able to do it by just what we would call by chance but there's no real chance i was uh, i do something that i call a soul alignment meaning so i can see spirit everywhere i see them 24 7 never goes away but i can also see the soul that is within a person I was sitting with some friends who are also mediums. They were at my house with my wife and I. And my one friend was sitting in front of me with her back towards me. And I just turned around. And when I looked at her back, I saw a face within her back. And I, I said to my guides, because they touched me for yes and no answers, and they just put thoughts in my mind. I said, am I seeing her soul? And I got a touch for a yes answer. When I get a no answer, it feels like a tear running down my face. When I get a yes, they touch me right here on my forehead. It feels like blood dripping across my face. And I said, uh, is that her soul? And they said, yes. And I said, 
it looks like it's crooked or something, or maybe there's like a little deviation here. And they said, yes. And I said, can I fix that? And they said, yes. And I said, what do I need to do? And then I got the thought in my head that said, put your hands on her shoulder, tell her you're going to do this, see if she's okay with it. Put your hands on her shoulder, concentrate and concentrate on putting energy from you into her. And I was like, and then I asked them again, did you just tell me that? And they said, yes, because <laughs> so, I always like to make confirmation with them. And uh, so I told her about it. And she's like, yeah. And I said to her right beforehand, I said, I see a deviation in it in your what would you consider your right shoulder? I said, are you having some pain today with your right shoulder? And she said, I almost didn't come today because my right shoulder was hurting so much. It was causing me a headache in my head. And I didn't I didn't know if I was going to come today. I said, well, they said I can fix it. Do you mind? And she said, no. So I put my hands on her shoulders. And when I did, I closed my eyes and I could watch these like white energy balls come out of my hands and go into her shoulders. And she all she said was, oh, my. And I said, are you okay? She said, yeah. I said, what just happened? She said, I felt heat come down in me. I said, all right, I'm going to fix everything. And I, I just concentrated. I watched her soul move. I, I filled in the deviation. And she, I said, okay. And she just looked at me and she said, headache's gone. Hmm. And I was like, she said, when did you learn how to do that? I said, five minutes ago. <laughs> and she's like, really? I said, yeah, I saw your soul. They told me what to do. And now I fixed it. But I, those things come, these abilities come to us when they are supposed to come to us. And, and not before or not, you know, it's just it comes when it's supposed to come. And I have this ability to do that. So whenever I do readings for someone in person, I offer that to them if they would like or not. But yeah, I, I totally believe in that, you know, you either have this or you don't. I, I can't take a course in school to become this. This is just something I have. And now I'm just trying to do the best thing with it that I can and help people, you know. And, and I think that's what's part of it as well. I think a lot of people, these, you know, entrepreneurs go out there and think, oh, I'm going to take a class and then. I'm going to become this, and then I'm going to make a lot of money at it. Where I I, I do a lot of readings for people. Uh, I don't charge very much, uh, but sometimes I just meet people that I know need this, and I will just walk up and talk to them about it and ask them, and do they mind if I try this? And they say yes, and I don't charge them nothing because I just, they are telling me, spirits telling me, this person needs us. Go help them. So I just do. But yeah, I, I don't believe it's a you could take a class. It's just it doesn't sound right to me. It doesn't doesn't resonate with me. Doesn't just doesn't sound right. Yeah. Um what what you're describing is what we call a dome. And that's sort of part of the next chapter of what I'll I'll talk about. Don meaning a gift. And you, you know, you were from the way that you're describing it to me. It sounds like the spirits gifted you with that. That yeah. they, they chose you for some reason. Oh boy! Oh, oh, I know the reason, but I would rather listen to your story than mine. I already know my story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so while I was in grad school, so I was I was living in Oklahoma from 1980 to 1985 while I was in grad school. And I was doing all of this work, you know, learning about traditional Comanche beliefs and practices. Um, I continued down that road for many, many, many years. And eventually um, I joined something called the Native American Church, which is the, um, the peyote religion that a lot of the, a lot of, the tribes in Oklahoma and other parts of Indian country are a part of. Parallel to that, I was studying 
a system called curanderismo, which is uh, the traditional medicine of Mesoamerica. Of That's one of the words I was not even going to try to pronounce. <laughs> I told my wife about it, and she said, well, just ask him about it. I said, you know what? I, I'm sure he'll, he will eventually mention it. So, and there you go. Exactly. So I didn't know anything about it. I had I was taking a course on uh, on ancient Mesoamerica. Mesoamerica meaning uh, central and southern Mexico, right. Guatemala, Nicaragua. That that whole area is called what we call Mesoamerica. And the course was really about ancient times and um, archaeology and that sort of thing, prehistory. And, and the professor, am, am I in Mesoamerica right now, being in southern Arizona? No. Okay. It starts further down. Um, so northern Mexico is not considered part of Mesoamerica either. Okay. Oh, all right. Um, anyway, the, the professor um, had done his field work in Oaxaca, Mexico, a state in southern Mexico. And one day in class, he mentioned in passing that there was this cultural practice called curanderismo, which is a, an, it has ancient elements from Mesoamerica, but it also contained uh, elements of folk Catholicism, practices from Africa, all these different things that were mixed together into a system of healing that's still used today, uh, largely in rural Mexico. And all of a sudden, you know, my ears kind of perked up and I went up to him afterwards to talk to him about it. And, you know, he told me about how he had done his field work living in Oaxaca, Mexico. Uh, for a year, he did his field work on a completely different topic. But I, I got interested in it and I eventually did a project based on it and decided that I wanted to go and learn about it. So my plan was... I was going to do, I would learn about it on this side of the border because curanderismo uh, at the time was still very much practiced in border areas like South Texas. And there were a lot of writings, a lot of things that were written about curanderismo um, in San Antonio, Texas. And I figured I could drive from Oklahoma to San Antonio, Texas, and I could go back and forth learn about it there, and then eventually go to Oaxaca, where this is very much practiced, and go there and do a one-year residency there and kind of compare the two. That was my plan. But eventually, for a variety of reasons that are not even germane to our conversation, I chose to take a terminal master's degree instead of a PhD and um, move back to New York. And I forgot all about curanderismo for many, many, many years until one year um, I, I joined this chapter of the Native American church and I told the people in the chapter, you know, I can't, I'm in, living in New York, so I can't come on a regular basis to your ceremonies. But if there's one thing that you want me to go to to show the support that I have, let me know and I'll go whenever I can. And they mentioned this annual pilgrimage where they go down to South Texas to get the medicine to bring back to Oklahoma that they'll need for that upcoming year. So I figured I would go and, you know, it's near the Mexican border. So I had to figure out where to fly into. And I ended up booking my flight to San Antonio, Texas. And I got to San Antonio and I got to thinking, you know, this is where I was going to do my field work. I wonder if there are practitioners of curanderismo here. And I looked all over. I asked people. I looked stuff up. Couldn't find anything. Couldn't find anything. And somehow the day before I was going to leave, I found this obscure article about um, a woman who was an anthropologist who had given a talk in the local library with a woman who was a curandera, a practitioner of this form of medicine. And it gave the woman's name. It gave the name of the store that she worked in in downtown San Antonio. So the day before I was going to fly out, I walked in, 
she was working there. You know, we got in a conversation and, and I spent the whole day in the store like I had known her my whole life. My flight got canceled the next day. Southwest Air let me let me uh, keep my ticket, uh, change my ticket four days in the future. I ended up staying for four more days and learning from her every day that I was there. Wow. And she became my first teacher in curanderismo. She had grown up in Mexico and she was my first teacher. And then I went from teacher to teacher, did a number of apprentices with people here in the United States, and then eventually met um, a dear, dear friend, a mentor, a teacher, uh, Laurencio Lopez Nunez, who lives in Oaxaca. And I ended up going to Oaxaca to learn about that and about the Temascal, which is their version of the sweat lodge and the, this whole path of curanderismo. And it was oddly enough, it was the fulfillment of what I had intended to do as a graduate student, but right. it me in this strange backdoor way without my even seeking it out necessarily later on in life. Because it happened when it was supposed to. Exactly. Just not in the way that you intended to. It happened. <laughs> You're not kidding. And it happened in the way that it needed to happen. Exactly. Exactly. You needed to experience it. So this is this has been my life work is um, where those where healing and spirituality intersect. All about our soul contract. Why we come into this world. Bingo. How we, how we can fulfill that contract. Yes. To learn those lessons, correct? Exactly. What healing means to our potential as a human being, as a human soul. Because your previous contract, the lessons you learned in it, obviously didn't work out for you very well. You didn't find out what works for you as opposed to what doesn't work for you. And so you had to come back again and fulfill another contract to do it over again to try to learn harder lessons to understand why you're actually here, what our purpose is. And uh, yes, and uh, and people don't seem to get that part of it and they need to. And, and in my opinion, that's the nature of healing. Yes. When I say healing, sometimes what people think that I mean is, well, if you've got cancer, you need to be healed. No. Or if you have, a, you know, a particular ailment, you need to be healed. I'm talking about a process that every human being is going through learning in this learn, learn, if, you have, if you have the cancer it's about learning how to go through that cancer how to live with it how to deal with it that's what you're healing that it's the soul healing figuring out all this and what's going on with it it's not just uh, getting over cancer and then you you wake up and you're okay it's about the, it's about the human experience Exactly right. There's a big difference between curing and healing. Yes. And that's important to understand when we look at healing as a way of becoming whole, becoming complete, fulfilling our purpose and our, our mission in being here as human beings on this, this physical plane. Absolutely. So if, if I were to give you an example, let's say that a person... Uh, finds out that they have cancer. They could either be healed and not cured, cured and not healed, or healed and cured. All of those are possibilities, or none of the above. Right. So a person who is healed but not cured might understand the nature of the, the, the situation that led to the cancer, the right. emotional impact of things going on in their life yes and and heal all of those issues but if the cancer has gone through a certain amount of of physical progression that right. person could end up dying not yes. being cured but being healed right on the other hand a person might ignore everything about the the uh the healing aspect of it and be cured, go to a doctor, go through chemotherapy, go through radiation, all of the, the steps, 
and they might be cured of the cancer, but not be healed of the underlying issues that led to it in the first place, in which case it very often comes back. Right. And then uh, I would say at that point, when that person does pass away and they return home and report all that, that all that stuff, they would say, yes, you were cured of it, but you didn't heal from it. Back to the classroom. Guess who's got to go back again? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and that that is all the time. We're here all the time. Yeah, we're here in this classroom on this physical plane in order to become whole, become yes a, a true human being. Right. So you don't have to come back again. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, the so my work within healing is all about this is it's all about understanding who we are why we're here yeah. how we as individuals can fulfill that contract of yeah. why we came here and ultimately be of service to others yes uh you're you're talking my language i do the same exact thing said in the same way that you said it we are here to help each other just for the sake of helping, not because we can, just because we should. Exactly. You know, and, and in the end, the, the remarkable thing, I, a lot of the people that I work with one-on-one -on -one and in groups are themselves healers. They are themselves people who are on a, a path of a healer. It could be somebody yeah. who is a psychotherapist. It could be somebody who's a massage therapist, a Reiki person. Yeah. And what they often find is that there was something that was not resolved in them. And that right. in our work, what we often uncover is something called susto. And I want to explain a little bit about susto because it's, it's really, yeah, it's a key concept. So there's this word in Spanish. Um, the, the, the word is susto, which is sometimes translated as spiritual fright. I, I prefer to use the term soul fright to explain okay. it. And we don't recognize it as a condition in the United States. But in, in Mexico and really throughout Mesoamerica, it's considered to be an actual condition. Anthropologists call it a, a folk illness because it's only recognized as an illness within certain communities. But I'll explain the, the belief behind it. I think you'll you'll resonate with it and understand it. Well. Oh, I resonate with it already because what people don't understand, they are afraid of that. So when we experience something, now it's not the same as trauma, but there is a very big overlap with trauma. When I experience a certain type of frightening experience and I'm overwhelmed by it, a splinter of my soul leaves my body in order to protect me and stays at the place in time and space where that occurred. Now that's a short-term strategy that we've developed as human beings, a spiritual strategy to deal with something that's too overwhelming. Sure. And it works short term, but what happens, here's where the story gets kind of interesting. Each time that we have a susto, a little bit of our soul is left there, and along with it, a little bit of our vitality and life force. Right. And over the course of time, one on what this is what I've discovered at any rate, is that one susto what it does is that first susto that you have is like the weak link in the energetic chain right and it creates a pathway for the next one to happen that is usually thematically related to it in one way or another and then another and another and another and so over time we give up our vitality our life force we do with each one. And so through these practices within curanderismo, we're able to 
reclaim that energy and deal with one susto at a time in order to become whole again. Whole again. <laughs> Absolutely. And what, what I've found in over and over again in working with people is that whatever the susto is that I experience somehow becomes not only my medicine for myself, but my medicine in working with somebody else. Right. And I go all been, the way back you've to been through it. You've exactly. been through it and you understand it. And I, I even go back to the story of my grandpa chief as being a perfect analog for what I'm describing. If you go back to that story, if you remember, when he was on that mountain, when the visitor came, the visitor shot him with fire. Yes. And that fire not only cured him, but that fire became the source of healing power that he would use in working with other people. Yeah, to pass on to others. So whatever my wound is becomes my way in in helping somebody else. Right. But in order for you to help someone else, again, you had to go through it as well. Exactly. And I have to resolve it because let's face it, you know, when you experience trauma, when you experience these extreme life challenges, there are people who throw their arms up and give up. There are people who turn to alcohol and drugs. There yes. are people who, um, who become embittered toward life. And then yes. there are people who deal with it, who learn from it and attach a new meaning to it in terms of right. how they're able to help somebody else through the pain and suffering that they had. Right, because as we all know, you could be walking through the parking lot of Walmart and you could have a pain in your back and someone's not going to know that, but they're going to go, oh, you don't have any pain, but they don't know it or they're not going to know it unless they experience it themselves. And they're going to trust someone else who has also experienced it as well to help them and not someone who just says, I'm a doctor and I can help you out. Exactly. Hey, Daniel, I, I have something that I'd like to offer your listeners, if that's okay. Yes, absolutely. Please. So I, I took this idea of Susto, and I wanted to come up with a way that people could get it and really understand it. Okay. And I worked it into a game that I offer anybody for free. It's a free download. And did you ever, when you were a kid, did you ever play a game called Shoots and Ladders? Of course, who didn't? <laughs> yeah, so so yeah. what I found out about shoots and ladders that's really, I think, fascinating is, did you know that it started out as a game not for children, but for Hindu monks? No, I did not know that. So the origin of the game and the structure of the game is that that these monks needed to understand with accessing energies and other planes of existence Right. And so in our experiences, we can either go down or we can go up. Uh, uh. So when I found out about that, I was like, you know what? That is a perfect way to understand understand susto. Because any susto is an opportunity for my growth or for me to actually go backwards in terms of my my own development as an individual. And so I put together a game that's based on shoots and ladders and the game is called sustos and it it looks at the four stages of human life each stage of life has certain challenges and yeah. certain ways that we have of growing and when we hit sustos it either gives us a chance to get bumped up or to knock us down right. so we have the shoots and the ladders built into the game and it's a fun way you can a person could either do it alone and kind of look at it and say what was going on at that moment in my life how did that help me or how did that hinder me or right. you can play it with a group of people who want to get to know each other a little bit better and then you use playing pieces and a die you know a single die so you roll right. the die and that sends you from one spot to another on the game board so Anybody can have that as a free download on my website. And 
uh, my take on that would be uh, the chutes and ladders being the chute where you can slide down into feeling worse and worse and worse about yourself, or you take the ladder up. But knowing as we all know, a ladder is not easy to climb. It is something you're going to have to do, and it takes effort to do as well. So, so yes, I. Uh, that, that's. Uh, am I correct in that? You are dead on. <laughs> All right, cool. <laughs> I hope I'm not dead on, but but you know, but yeah. But, uh, You're live uh, on. How's that? Spiritual joke right there. <laughs> but yeah, the, yeah. That's uh, that's that's my take on it. And yeah, and, and people should know that too, because when you are healing. Healing takes effort to do. It's not. It's not always going to be easy. Like going to a physical therapy, we think, oh, that's going to help me. But I've been to physical therapy, and it's painful. Absolutely. I, uh, but but you after the pain comes the comes the comfort, and but you have to go through that, and that's the same thing with your spiritual healing as well. It's not all rainbows and unicorns. No, it's not. Like uh, yeah, like I talk about, like we talk about. Yeah, absolutely. It's not rainbows and unicorns. That's that's. Don't, we're, we're, we, we have an issue in this world where we, we get taught a lot of things that we shouldn't be. We, we need to go back to teaching the real teachings of why we're here, what our purpose is, what, what the truth of life and death, everything. Uh, but it's all been hidden from us. And that's why I have people on my show like yourself to bring out the truth, to let people know that, that all that other stuff we've been taught is just mess to keep us, you know, suppressed, to keep us under control. Exactly right. I I think you and I are on the same page. Yeah, I think we are on the same page and the same plane at the same time. Uh, absolutely. I have one off-topic question I'd like to uh, ask you before I let you go. And my question for that is, since you did live in Oklahoma, how long are you still there? Or are you? Are you uh, no, I'm I'm in New York, but I travel back and forth for ceremonies and visiting my family members very often. So, and you lived there for quite a few years because you were going to school there as well, correct? Yeah, well, I lived there when I was in graduate school, and then um, after graduate school, for quite a few years, I also led a, educational tours where I would take groups of people with me and they would live uh, for a week at a time in the oh, cool. native communities and go to people's homes, historic sites, powwows, other dances, ceremonies, all kinds of things. So wow. I, my, my network of relations kind of really exploded with the, the putting all of that together. Cool. My question for you is being living in Oklahoma, do the winds actually come down sweeping down the plane? <laughs> they certainly do. And let All me right. say, you know, in the, the days when we were doing my program, we uh, we often stayed in teepees for the week that we were out there. Oh, my goodness. And if you want to experience the winds of Oklahoma, try living in a teepee for a while. Yeah. The porta potty in the teepee or no? Uh, no, outside. Oh. Outside, yeah, true living, right? Yeah, yeah, no thanks. Uh, yeah, I, I will, I will take the comforts of my home for as long as we have it until that goes away. Who knows when? But we know when. Uh, Very but, true. Uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah. So everyone, uh, thank you, Bob, for coming on my show. Will you uh, tell people where they can find you? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I know you are you are also an author as well, correct? Yeah, so so my book is called Big Bo, The Spiritual Life and Teachings of a Kiowa Family. That's available on Amazon.com. Um, and people can come to my website in order to get a free copy of the game that I told you about called Sustos. Uh, so the website is very simple to remember, bobvetter.com. So B-O-B-V-E-T-T-E-R.com. BobVetter.com. Man, that made it easy for you. Holy miracle. People have so many, so much hard times trying to get their own names into their own websites and <laughs> you can't do it because somebody else purchased it. But uh, at least you got it. That's awesome. That's awesome. And uh, what we will do for the listeners as well as during the uh, program, uh, we will put up the links for those as well so people can 
so they can find you because I want them to find you because because uh, uh, again like uh, so many other guests that I have on my uh, show I know you speak the truth and we need more thank you so much Daniel I it really is a, a pleasure to get to know you the path that you're on and uh, speak with your audience a little bit that uh, I totally agree because people should get to know us. You know, they, we, 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 need to, we need to stop segregating ourselves from ourselves. We need to stop building these walls and, and, and come together as a people because the only difference between you and me and anybody else in this world is absolutely nothing. We're all human. We're all here for the same reason. We just have to figure that reason out and, and stop letting or let go of all this other mess out there and causing all these wars and all this other stuff. We need to stop with that stuff and, and come together. But but the only way we're going to do that is now people like you and I who are coming out, this is becoming more acceptable. Uh, we, we It's in our hopes and dreams that they will start to listen. Exactly. And that's that's our path. That's, yes, that's our path. the reason we're here at this time. Yes, for this time, and unless we have, hopefully we don't have to come back the next time. So, uh, yeah, I try to tell people that, go out for your purpose, learn your lessons, so you don't have to come back again, but uh, they don't always listen, but uh, I do my best. All right, Bob, I appreciate you being here. Uh, I appreciate my audience listening here. And as I tell everyone uh, at the end of the show, go out, have a great day, be good, and don't do any stupid shit. Thanks again for coming on here to uh, Beyond the Veil with Daniel Jackson me, and I hope to see you again. Bye-bye, everybody. This has been part two of Spirituality and Healing. For more information about Bob, please visit his website at www.bobbetter.com. Bob's book, Big Bo, The Spiritual Life and Teachings of a Kiowa Family, is available on Amazon. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next time on Beyond the Veil with Daniel Jackson.